So every step, I think there's fears and the, um, the discomfort that I'm feeling, but I know if I stick with it, then it'll all get better. You are listening to Business Edge, the podcast for professionals looking to excel in the workforce. You'll hear from new guests each week as they dive into their personal and professional experiences to give you an edge in the marketplace. This podcast is recorded by Desiree White and Chrissy Vasquez at the Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity Office in Indiana. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Business Edge. Thanks for joining us. Uh, For our guests who love to travel, this episode is definitely for you. Uh, Chris Clemens, or Chris Tarzan Clemens, as he's been named, left behind a full-time job in 2012 to hike the Appalachian Trail. And then just a few years later, he dove into freelance marketing so that he could travel full-time. He's joining us all the way from Thailand today. So thank you so much for calling in, Chris. Thank you. Hey, Chris. So you're you kind of got a little bit, your stay in Thailand got extended. And if you could see me, I have air quotes. Um, because of COVID, talk to us a little bit quickly about how long you were planning on staying there and, you know, how you got kind of extended there because of COVID. Yeah, I arrived in Thailand. I was already in Southeast Asia at the end of 2019 when when there were just little bits of stories about this new virus, potential virus that was starting. Um, So I was in Indonesia and then had made my way to um, Singapore and then Kuala Lumpur. And I really was supposed to be in India in in late March. And I was looking for a a place to just stop over for a few weeks. And Thailand was kind of right in the right area. So I was here only supposed to be on this little island in Thailand for three weeks before I was heading to India. And then everything just kind of happened really fast. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. Countries started to close. Airlines started to shut down. And um, yeah, I was looking for different places to go and was running out of options. So just kind of settled in. And now I think I'm 10 months later, still in Thailand. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What, um, so you had to find something a little more permanent for housing. What did you find? And was it easy to find that? So I started for the, just the three weeks day, I had a, a bungalow that was pretty close to the beach. It was very simple, but I could hear the ocean at night. Um, I mm. actually stayed there. I stayed there through the lockdown and everything in Thailand. Uh, my host family was really great. It was, it was actually a really incredible experience. It, it also happened during Ramadan, and this is a very uh, Muslim area. And uh, as the lockdown happened, there were not a lot of options for food, but my host family would invite me over to their family dinners every night at the end of fasting. Um, it was a really incredible cultural experience, and I'm, I was very thankful to have people like that around. Um, and then I've tried a couple different apartments on the island. I actually just got back to Koh Lanta. I spent the last two months bicycle touring through Thailand, so I've been on my bicycle and staying in hotels, but I'm back and I have another pretty simple small bungalow not far from the beach. And uh, it has a bed and a bathroom and Wi-Fi, and that's about all I need. And so no complaints. <laughs> wow, that is so crazy. I can't believe you got stuck there for that much longer than what you had planned. I mean, that's crazy. And you made it work. I, was, I could have actually come back to the United States pretty much at any time. But watching everything happening around the world, um, I, I decided that it was probably a better option to stay in Thailand, which I, th- I do think Thailand has done really well with the pandemic. And uh, even during the lockdown, I was still in a pretty inexpensive place to live close to the beach. Um, so I think this was the better choice for me. 
Mm-hmm. So kind of take us back to the beginning. Where did this idea stem from to start traveling full time um, and kind of leave behind the corporate world and those jobs? So I don't think that I've always wanted to do this. This It's not like a dream that I had as I was growing up. I was actually really shy. I had opportunities. My dad has always been involved in Rotary. And I remember in high school, he really wanted to send me on an international exchange where I would go to another country for a month. And then uh, I would come back with an exchange student from that country. And I was just way too shy. I didn't want to leave home. I'm, I'm originally from small town, Indiana. Um, and it just seemed like a big, crazy world. And it, it, that just wasn't in my, on my radar. Um, but my first job out of college, I did start to have a little bit of international travel, which was a lot of fun. It was always for work and trade shows, but I always added in a, a weekend or a week at the end of it so that I could travel a little bit more in these countries and see a little bit more of the culture and you know, away from the trade show floor and offices. And I think that kind of got my ideas flowing of international travel, but the problem was going to be of course, the dream would be to travel full time, but I would have to have a job for it. And um, at the time, I, I didn't have that. So that took a while to set up for me. Did this all stem originally from when you outfitted that camper to live out of? And I think you were in Alaska with it? Yeah, so I, I think maybe one of the pivotal points of, of all of this was when I quit my first job to, to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been in, in the corporate world for uh, six years. I had done sales, selling cheesecake cutting machines for three years, and then marketing for three years for that company. And I left that job to through Hike the Appalachian Trail. So I spent four and a half months living out of a backpack, uh, meeting incredible, pe incredible people from around the world and just seeing a lot of the United States that a lot of people don't get to see. Um, and obviously that's not a sustainable way to live the rest of your life. You have to make money and you have to have community. So I returned to Santa Barbara, California, but I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to live a bit more of an adventurous lifestyle. So I started reading books like The 4-Hour Workweek um, or started kind of following some of these blogs about digital nomads living in inexpensive places around the world and working online. And I didn't know how to do it, but I knew I wanted to at some point. So when I got back from the Appalachian Trail, I figured I needed to, first of all, minimize my life and my lifestyle. So I, I gave away pretty much everything and moved out of my apartment, um, couch surfed for a little while, and eventually ended up living in my Honda Element on the streets in Santa Barbara. And I still had a full-time job and I, I was a member of the Rotary Club of Santa Barbara. I was actually club president, the, the youngest club president <laughs> in their club's history while I was homeless living on the streets. <laughs> um, mm. So I kind of wow. figured out the, the ability to not have a home anymore, but I still needed the income. And it took a couple years, but I went back to my original, my first job out of school and offered to take over their marketing once again, but to do it totally freelance. Uh, that way I wouldn't have to be tied down to any physical office or physical location. So it was the mix of living on wheels and then finally having income that would let me roll those wheels to wherever I could find Wi-Fi, make a little bit of money and uh, just keep traveling like that. Um, so I know you've had a couple other mobile homes um, other than that camper. Do you want to tell us about those and how you how you created those for all of your trips? The first vehicle that I lived in was uh, Honda Element. And even at that point, I would have loved to have something like the, the Volkswagen van or um, a sportsmobile. But the fact of it was that I owned the Honda. <laughs> so that was probably the best first home on wheels. <laughs> 
but I drove it from California back to Indiana and my stepdad and I took out the back seats and we created this little stealth camper that had a, uh, a foot, like a six foot long bed on one side and the other side had kind of a built-in dresser and a closet. Um, I did have suits in the Honda Element still because I had to go to Rotary on Friday. <laughs> so that was my first <laughs> simple camper that I lived in that um, it, was, it was good for living in town because I could pretty much park anywhere and no one knew I was in it. Uh, the next vehicle that I lived in, I bought a 1985 Volkswagen Vanagon Westphalia. So the older Volkswagen van with the pop-up um, that had a full little kitchenette in it, um, two beds, one on top, one on bottom, kind of the quintessential Instagram van life. <laughs> um, van, I lived, in, I lived in that for three years, and I was in that when I started traveling around North America. Um, in that van, I, I drove across and around the United States uh, several times, and I drove the Trans-Canada Highway one summer from Vancouver Island to um, all the way out to Newfoundland. And then that was just a two-wheel drive camper, and I love spending time out west on BLM land and National Forest, and the two-wheel drive was becoming a limiting factor. So I sold that van, and a couple years ago purchased a, an old Toyota Tacoma, and for one summer I lived just in the truck bed of that with a little camper top on the back. And then the next year I bought a slide-in pop-up camper that's a little bit more like the Volkswagen setup. And I ended up living in that for, uh, well, I renovated it first, and then I lived in that for a summer and drove that all the way up to the top of Alaska and the Arctic Ocean up the Alaska Highway. And now that I'm in Thailand, that's just kind of sitting parked at my family's place in Arizona, waiting for me to get back and have more adventures. Wow, that is amazing that you were able to turn, you know, just a standard car that most of us use every day into something to take you on amazing, you know, journeys like that. What were some of your fears going into this? Did you have any fears or are you more uh, jump both feet in and don't have any fears? How did you overcome them if you had any? There's definitely always fears, um, but I think I'm progressively trying to push my boundaries or my limits or expand my comfort zone over time. Um, I've kind of settled on this term anti-comfortable I've found that the, my best life is when I'm living anti-comfortable, where I'm not too comfortable in a certain routine, where everything becomes autopilot. And I, I think when I get into that kind of a, a lifestyle, I find myself getting bored or just not as engaged with the world around me. Uh, and on the total other extreme, I don't want to be totally uncomfortable all the time. <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> discomfort is good, but I found that a, a good mix of um, some comfort, but a lot of chaos can create this anti-comfortable lifestyle. So the first year when I started traveling full-time in the van, it was pretty scary the first couple of months because I didn't know where I would be able to sleep every night. Um, I didn't want to spend a lot of money and pay for campgrounds. So I was always looking for free places to, to, to stay. Uh, and it took a couple months, but that became pretty easy. And at the end of that summer, I knew I wanted to challenge myself even more. So I figured I should try to live international and I didn't really care where I would go. And I remember I walked into a Walmart and I bought a, a die um, and sat in the van and I wrote down six countries on a piece of paper and numbered them one to six. They were all pretty warm, um, inexpensive places that I could probably go and work. I just rolled the die um, and number six came up and it was Ecuador. So uh, I booked a one-way flight to Ecuador and spent the winter 
kind of just explore in Ecuador and down into Peru before I came back up to live the next summer um, in the camper. But even just going to another country, that was another set of fears. And actually the first night in that country, I kind of was feeling pretty lonely and almost booked a flight back to the United States. But um, I spent a couple of days there and ended up meeting some friends and had a, had a blast. So every step, I think there's fears and the, um, the discomfort that I'm feeling, but I know if I stick with it, then it'll all get better. That's really awesome. I do have a quick question about work and all of this. So you said that you're doing digital marketing for the company that you used to be with. Do you have any meetings with anybody in the company or is it truly 100% independent? You send work in, you don't have to interact with anybody from a real standpoint. With that company, because I was with them for six years and I, I managed their marketing programs before, I'm pretty much leading all that effort. Um, there's no real meetings with them. But at the same time, all those people that work there, they're all my best friends. I've spent so much time with them. So I'm mm. talking with them on a regular basis. Um, and I've picked up a few additional clients that I do similar things for who are also my friends, basically. And some mm -hmm. of those, since the companies are a little bit different or I don't have as much experience, we do have some meetings. Um, but even that, I'm, I try to pick up projects where there's not a lot of commitment to be, quote unquote, in the uh, online office very often. <laughs> Got it. No, that definitely makes sense. And so how, what tips do you have or how do you navigate those time changes? Um, because obviously you're done with work now. Des and I are pretty much just starting our day for the most part. So how do you manage some of those time differences in order to stay up with work and to stay current and on task? You definitely have to be flexible sometimes. Uh, right now I'm currently sitting in a co-working space on Colanta. I come to this co-working space every day and there are people working here as freelancers but also for and with companies around the world. So there's everyone's kind of on a different time zone here and some people come in early in the morning some people are still here tonight working and some have uh, meetings until late at night here i've i've had a couple meetings at two or three in the morning which i don't like to do i try really hard to avoid mm -hmm. those uh, but also everyone that i work with knows where i am and what i'm doing they've been really good about helping alleviate some of those time constraints oh that definitely makes sense so kind of going off of that, how do you balance like the time management of going on your adventures while you're traveling, but still working enough to fund all of these trips? I'm sure that's a question you get often for people who might be wanting to travel like this, but not really sure how to finance something. Yeah, I think I'm still trying to figure that out as well. <laughs> um, it, it is a challenge. It's nice that I'm here on in this co-working space now because I'm surrounded with a lot of people who are working. So that does help me kind of, I mean, given the opportunity, if I have the, the choice between fun or work, I'll typically choose fun. And if it's sunny out, I'll go to the beach. I love rainy days because those are perfect for working. Uh, but having all these people in the co-working space around does help focus a little bit more. Most of my other travels, when I'm moving a lot faster, um, not in a pandemic, <laughs> then I'm typically staying in hostels and I'm around other people who are traveling full-time just for the fun of it. So it's a little harder to focus on that work aspect when everyone else is out just exploring and, and having fun every day. So it, it's a challenge. 
but at the end of the day, I do have to pay the bills. And I think it also helps that I love what I'm doing. And some days, even when I'm not working on client projects, I'll still be here working on my own projects, doing the same thing, whether it's website design, uh, video production, I, I might just be doing it for fun by myself. So I love what I'm doing. So it never really feels like work. So you were talking a little bit, you know, you're, you're all over the world and you can change your mind and go anywhere at the drop of a hat. And so clearly it's a little bit easier these days with a lot of electronic banking. So you don't have to worry about that. You can access your funds, but what are some tools that you live and die by in order to make your work and your life work electronically, whether it be some applications or are you a big Google drive person? Like what do you use to make all this work electronically besides your computer and Wi-Fi? Yeah, with each of my clients, it's a little bit different. I use both Google Drive and Dropbox to share files back and forth, um, and it depends mm -hmm. on the client and the project. But that seems to work pretty well. With one of my clients, I'm working with an agency, and they're using uh, like Slack or I think Monday.com is like a productivity app. Um, that's a little bit new for me. Most of my other jobs have been pretty much solo and on my own, so I'm mm -hmm. I'm getting back into these. Um, messaging and productivity apps and trying to utilize that. Um, but otherwise, for the travel side, like Google Flights helps me mostly pick where I'm going to go next. I can quickly and easily just find cheap flights to inexpensive places. So that's probably what I live by most is Google, Google Flights. I've been using Kayak all these years, trying to update. <laughs> <laughs> Since you've kind of lived both ways, what are the like pros and cons of like a minimalistic lifestyle like this? That's a good question. And a lot of people ask me about this lifestyle or they want to do it. And I try to be pretty open and honest that it's not, it's not perfect. And it's not just Instagram photos <laughs> in picturesque places. There are definitely some trade-offs. Um, sometimes not having a home to go home to is kind of a bummer. Um, some depending when I'm in North America and traveling in my vehicles, I'm normally working from coffee shops or libraries or anywhere I can find public Wi-Fi. And I, sometimes it's just really difficult to find dependable internet to get my work done and it can take several hours. Um, so it's, it can be pretty inefficient. And, and then there's the lack of community, especially when I'm traveling a lot more. This is the, I've been in Thailand now. Um, for almost 10 months, but I've been in, out of the United States now for over a year. And that's longer than normal. And typically I'm back home visiting friends and family every six or eight months. So moving so much uh, means there's definitely a lack of community or you have to try harder to meet people and, and make good close friends. So there are definitely some trade-offs, but I've felt so fulfilled by seeing different parts of the world and experiencing different cultures and meeting people and, and locals with really interesting backgrounds and, and making really incredible connections on the personal level. So those trade-offs for me are well worth it. I imagine it's hard to pick your favorite place because you probably like each place for some <laughs> different reason. But if you had to pick your top one or two places that you've worked from slash trips, where would those be? I do get that question a lot. Uh, I would have to, I would have to say one of my favorite places in the world. I love mountains. I love being in the mountains. My brother lives in Denver, so I do spend a lot of time in Colorado. 
but I also love the ocean. And really Santa Barbara, I ended up in Santa Barbara after graduating from school in Indiana and it was, I totally got lucky. But for me, Santa Barbara is probably one of the best places in the world. You have the ocean and the beach. And within a couple miles, you can be at the top of the mountains behind town up at 4,000 feet. And then you can drop down into the back country. I think it really does have the best of, of everything. Um, of course, New Zealand was amazing and Patagonia with um, the, the mountains and the glaciers there and Alaska. I, then I could make a whole long list. But <laughs> if there was any mm -hmm. one place in the world that I had to stay for the rest of my life, it'd probably be Santa Barbara, uh, like Southern California, Central Coast. And you said your camper's in Arizona right now? Is that, or your? Yeah, it's, my truck is sitting at my uh, aunt and uncle's house in Arizona. Got it. So through all of your travels, was there ever a time when you were thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this situation? Or how am I going to get to the next country? Or how am I going to get my next paycheck? Has there ever been a time where you've been a little worried that maybe things aren't going to go in a good direction during this? Um, I don't think so. This this year obviously has been weird for everyone, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, being here in Thailand, I knew I wanted to stay. Um, my visa ran out as the pandemic was happening and all the lockdowns were happening. And Thailand did a really good job with the pandemic, maybe not quite as good of a job with communication, especially with tourist visas, but to their credit, they did extend amnesty several times. So we were pretty well taken care of. Um, but eventually I did have to pay a little bit extra to get a uh, six-month educational visa here. So now there's no more questioning, no more wondering. I'm, I'm good to go in Thailand. But for a little while, there was every few weeks, it was just wondering, are we going to be allowed to stay or are we going to have to go home? So that was a lot of mm. unknowns. What was communication like about COVID over there? Did you feel like you had a lot of good information about what was going on or did you feel like there was a lot of questions that you couldn't quite get answered besides your visa? The people here were really incredible. My host family was amazing. Um, there are some English news stations in Thailand that uh, there was a lot of information. I think the problem was probably not just in Thailand, but probably around the world. It was just no one knew. No one knew. And um, even though there was a lot of information coming out, a lot of it was open-ended or not conclusive. Um, and really just no one knew how it was all going to go. So. Um, I, again, I think I'm in the best place possible. Thailand is doing really well. Um, I believe they only had 60 uh, people pass away from COVID officially on the records uh, in the entire country. I'm not sure if that's still the same, but um, looking back at my friends and family in the United States, it's a vast difference from what I experienced here in Thailand. Wow. Well, to go through something you know, like that, or to go into this and start traveling full-time, what type of mindset would you say someone needs to have? I guess you would have to be willing to have a little bit of chaos pretty much all the time. Um, if, if you enjoy routines and um, just the comfort and stability of, you know, home and an office and the normal daily commute and the, and the pub on the corner with your, your friends, you, you might enjoy that a little bit more. Um, I've just found that pre-pandemic, the longest I normally stayed in one place would be about five or six days. If I got to about seven days in one, one city, I would be getting pretty restless. 
So I must just really enjoy the movement. Um, and maybe you have to have a little bit of that. Yeah. And, you know, prior to all of this, you uh, studied at Ball State and you um, were in AKSI. You were the president of your chapter. So how do you think AKSI impacted your experiences, impacted your journey? I think it was huge. When I look back at Ball State, I have a degree in marketing, but it was a focus in professional sales. And if I remember anything from my marketing courses, it's random facts about um, the the size and dimensions of like billboards for advertising or um, some of these things that I think are, they just really don't fit really well with today's world and especially with the digital marketing and digital advertising. Um, I, I'm glad that I have a marketing background. I'm sure it does help me today, but I think what I value more and in, in what I what helped me to get where I am today is Alpha Kappa Psi. I was also in a social fraternity. I was involved with Student Government Association and an orientation leader and resident assistant. And I think it was just all of those activities that I dove into on campus really helped teach me interpersonal skills and teamwork and of course leadership being chapter president um, all of that i think helped even more than than just classes and a gpa it was taking what i learned in some of those courses especially sales and then implementing that directly into these student organizations and and learning and sometimes failing and making mistakes uh mm. trying to lead people with uh with student government and, and AKSI, but learning from that and then being able to take that into the, the corporate world as a young professional, I think really helped push me to, um, to, to really hit the ground running after, after college. So kind of speaking the lines of some of the things we learned in AKSI, like how to truly network, I'm sure you've met all kinds of people. How do you stay in touch with those people that you meet in all your different stopovers? Mostly Facebook, pretty much everyone around the world is on Facebook. Um, mm, but mm -hmm. I also have a lot of email addresses and, and the Google contacts, um, I'll add contacts. And, and so you know, what I learned in my early 20s, reading tons of networking books and self-help books and business books is having a good contact, I guess, Rolodex and keeping notes. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I still have some of that too. Well, and I really liked what you said about deciding if this could be the lifestyle for you. Cause I think a lot of people have had this great dream of being able to work from home and work from remote. And I've actually talked to quite a few people that after having done this for the last six months, they can't wait to get back into the office. <laughs> so I think it was a good life exercise on, is this the type of life for me? Um, I think the people that still love it and thrive on it, I think they're gonna be excited to hear your adventures. And I will say that your Instagram makes my vacation heart <laughs> very happy. Um, definitely follow Chris on Instagram. He can give you his handle because the pictures he posts of the, the oceans are beautiful and just his adventures. It's really fun to kind of get out of your element and see what he's up to. What is your Instagram hand, handle for listeners that want to follow you? It's just Chris Tarzan Clemens. Yeah. And, and on that note with the, yeah, everyone's had this opportunity to kind of try the remote or the work from home. Thing. And definitely for some people, it's, it's not, I, I have friends who cannot wait to get back in the office. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But here at this co-working space, we've had a lot of conversations about this and what the future is going to look like, like in places like this in Thailand, where you could come live pretty inexpensively and pay for a little mm -hmm. desk at an office space. And 
it really looks like this pandemic particularly could shake up some of some of the countries around the world and they may start offering digital nomad type of visas and so if if you're at home mm -hmm. and you're and you're enjoying the ability to work from home and possibly work from anywhere there might be some really good opportunities once everything settles down and borders start to reopen it'll be pretty interesting yeah i saw i think i saw that barbados is offering one year um visas for people that want to come work remotely which the idea mm -hmm. crossed my mind and then i'm like what am i going to do with my dogs <laughs> if i'll stay <laughs> yeah. here in indiana <laughs> what's next for you so right now this week i will go back to immigration um, and get my my current educational visa I'm, I'm here now on a muay thai visa which is like thai kickboxing <laughs> so i haven't really gone to learn thai kickboxing yet but i i'm going to start soon uh, I'll extend my Muay Thai visa for another three months, so that will give me until March here in Thailand. And I just finished a two-month bicycle tour through Thailand, so in my dreams, if the world reopens, maybe I would fly to Eastern Europe in the spring and maybe spend the summer bicycling across Europe. Um, or I could also just bicycle tour more of Southeast Asia. Of course, my truck has been sitting idle for well over a year now, so I should probably get back to that at some point and do some more adventuring. Um, actually, I was planning, since I drove to the top of Alaska this summer, I was going to be on the Pan American Highway, so I probably would have been somewhere in Central America uh, during the pandemic, but maybe come back and take the truck down to the bottom of South America. Um, I don't know. I have lots of dreams, and they're all depending on the pandemic. <laughs> well, before we let you go here, we definitely have to ask you our signature question on the show. Um, so can you tell us about a time when your personal values were challenged and then how you were able to handle that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think one of, the, one of the times that sticks out in my mind, I believe it was between freshman and sophomore year in, in college, I uh, went down to my dad's house in Georgia and I was trying to find a summer job. So I went to a car dealership thinking that I could just wash cars for the summer. And when I asked them if they needed help, they actually offered to let me sell cars, which was pretty cool because uh, I was 19 and I could drive some pretty sweet cars. But I learned, a, that was before I took any sales courses or anything at Ball State. And I learned a lot about sales through selling used cars. And uh, I remember one couple was trying to buy a car and we were kind of going back and forth about financing. I think we were down to $50 a month. They wanted me to drop it $50 a month more. So I went back and the quintessential talked to the manager and he told me uh, a line and sent me back out there and told me to say it to him. So I sat down in front of them and I said, so you're telling me you're going to let a Coke and a candy bar a day keep you from driving this car home today. And the guy looked straight at me and in very colorful language said, never say that again. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, that was just the probably most extreme lesson I learned in that sales job at a, at a used car dealership. Um, mm. I loved it. I learned so much there, but I learned so much about what I didn't want to be as a salesperson in the future. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that kind of helped strengthen my resolve and, and where I wanted to end up professionally and, and personally. And uh, yeah, so that was a, a lesson well learned. <laughs> so yeah. is the market for, Cheesecake slicers big when you said um, that's what you sold for three years? It's it's huge. So my first when I moved to Southern California, my my main client was the Cheesecake Factory. 
and ah, got it. They have they have two plants in the United States, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and both of them at the time were running three shifts a day, seven days a week, and each shift they were cutting. Oh, I forget if it was 8,000 cheesecakes every shift, three times a day, seven days a week. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's beneficial. Their business is doing really well right now, especially with the pandemic and companies need to have less people interacting. So there's a lot of push for automation and what they do is Mm -hmm. automated equipment. And same with another one of my clients, they do automated equipment in the uh, meat and poultry industry. So for me, it's, I've been really lucky this this year I've been super busy. I picked up more work and uh, my clients are really busy. So I'm, I'm very thankful and blessed that uh, this year has been weird, but it's still been pretty good. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I think your story is fascinating and I really hope that um, the advice and things that you talked about will really help someone if they're you know, ready to travel just like you. So thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, it's been great to connect with you. How can listeners learn more outside of your Instagram account if they want to connect with you? I think I'm pretty easy to find pretty any, pretty much anywhere, but Chris Tarzan Clemens, uh, and my last name is C-L-E-M-E-N-S. Um, I have ChrisTarzanClemens.com or the same thing on most social media platforms. And I'm, I'm happy to talk or uh, bounce ideas off. Um, I do get random messages now and then of people that want to take the leap into a more digital lifestyle. And I'm happy to share what I learned doesn't work, (laughs) which is sometimes the most (laughs) important. So if anyone has questions, please feel free to reach out. Thanks for listening to Business Edge. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for us, email businessedge at akzi.org.